Good evening, everyone. The reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. So that's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. It is a joy to be together. Amen. Um, it is a joy to be together. If you are new to our church, if you're joining us for the very first time, for this year, one of the things we've been doing is looking at Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, we work uh, through Ephesians word by word, uh, chapter by chapter, and it is one of the practices of our church to read through um, books of the Bible. Because if you if you were to listen to what David uh, was going to preach, you would have uh, come up with um, sermons like your best life yet, uh, 10 ways to the better you. Um, that's not what we believe here. We believe that the word of God speaks and it speaks lives into us. And sometimes it touches topics that we very often don't uh, venture into. Uh, so that is the joy of looking at uh, God's word in that, in that manner. Uh, we titled the sermon series, You Belong. And so far we've seen that what Paul is saying to this new Christians is that they now belong to a new family. Uh, he's speaking to people who are outside of God's family, and he reminds them that um, they now belong. Uh, and because they belong, their lives have to change. Their lives have to be, have to be uh, different. Um, this belonging that these new Christians have is not anything to do with them, but everything to do with what God uh, has done. He's bringing children uh, to himself. That is um, uh, all that is uh, the book of Ephesians. We, if you remember, use three words to describe or rather to partition the book of Ephesians, uh, which are very helpful. And those words are sit, walk, and stand. Uh, Paul says uh, in the initial chapters of Ephesians that Christians are now seated, seated with um, Christ on high. That is your position as a believer. It may not feel like sometimes life is that way, but that is the reality. Uh, chapter 2, verse 5, this is what Paul says about sitting. As a Christian, the first posture you ought to adopt is to sit in what God has done for you. Chapter 2, verse 5, but God being rich in mercy, that is about the mercy of God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, that is our relationship outside of Jesus. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That is your position as a Christian. And you are to remember that. And we drilled it day in, well, week in, week out, that you belong. You are to sit in that. Uh, very often as Christians... We hustle, we struggle, we strive along to try to please God instead of just sitting in what he has done. 
Amen. That's the first position. Uh, but here's the reality. You cannot sit with God and what He has done and still remain the same. Uh, your sitting with God, your position with Him has to transform your life. So in chapter 4, Paul transitions from saying you must sit and remember what God has done for you to walking. Uh, he says we must walk a certain way. Uh, our sitting with God has to change the way we use our speech. It has to change the way we use our sexuality. It has to change the way that we see ourselves and see other people. Uh, that is um, what Paul says uh, in chapter 5 and then chapter 4, 5 and then 6. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul, I urge you to walk. Uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, that's the transition that we see in the letter. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. He's calling this big family that was fighting amongst each other, uh, that lived real life, uh, to strive for unity because they are united under one Father, which is Jesus. He says the same thing in chapter 5. Verse 2, when he says to these Christians, walk in love. And if you're new to the church, a Christian is simply somebody who's embraced the grace of God. A Christian is not someone who's perfect. A Christian is someone who's being perfected. Amen. I just received that from the Lord. How's about that? Uh, chapter 5, verse 2, Christians walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice uh, to God. No longer do you need to kind of strive to please God, um, but God has uh, sacrificed His Son on your behalf. He's loved you, and because He's loved you, you ought to walk in a manner that's worthy of that. You ought to walk in the same love that He has called you to. Uh, that is the second thing. Uh, sit, walk, and then stand. We're going to see that in two weeks' time. As we look at um, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talks about um, the Christian life. And he says that there are some times when you are walking and it seems like there's somebody who's pushing you uh, to fall. Uh, that there's an external force that is working against what God would want you to do. And uh, for Paul responds by saying, after you've done everything, stand. Uh, stand against uh, the scheme of the enemy. Uh, that is Satan. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but tonight, we're in this section where Paul says, uh, talks about children and parents. And I think that covers all of us here. Uh, children and parents. Um, if you missed uh, the section on wives and husbands, I think there was a phenomenal um, just exposition of what God says here about wives. And that applies to our current Context. Um, so please go onto our website and listen to um, to that. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna dive into those four verses. Let's pray. Father, your word is uh, eternal. Your word is powerful. Uh, your word is relevant and true for every generation. Uh, the flower may wither. The grass may wither, the flower may uh, fade, but this, your word, endures forever. So I do pray that you would cut deep into our hearts, expose what's in there, and give us the grace to do what you would want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 
Um, Heather, thank you so much for that Bible reading. I'm just going to read through it um, again uh, and just um, reflect on this just four verses that are packed with uh, so many things. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And for those um, who are with their children, I'm sure you're nudging them uh, at this. Uh, you hear? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Um, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I wish it was easy to understand some of Paul's letters. I wish he spent more time, uh, more than just four verses, explaining to us what it means to uh, be a child in this world and also how to, how to parent, uh, particularly parenting. I wish he explained to us what it would look like to parent in a digital age uh, where our kids are being bombarded uh, from all over the place uh, with things. The other day, my daughter said that my boyfriend is selfish, and I was like, what in the world? (laughs) I I just wish Paul would have unpacked that for me. I mean, it is innocent. I don't think uh, she was saying what I thought she was saying. But that's the world in which we live in, where our children are being exposed to all sorts of things. I wish Paul would have dealt with how to deal with our toxic parents, Um, those parents who hurt us, uh, those parents who uh, do everything, well, it seems from our perspective, do everything in their power to make our lives a living helm. I wish Paul would have exposed this more uh, and more. I wish Paul would have uh, spent time to talk to those who grew up without fathers to say, man, Paul, I hear you. You say, invest so much time in not provoking your kids to anger. Don't provoke me to anger. You know that song? Um, my son sings that song on the regular. Like, you make me angry because he does not like being told what to do. I I wish Paul would have spent time um, to tell me, well, how do I, without any form of um, model of what a Christian parent uh, looks like and does, how do I do that? Uh, How do I do that, Paul? Uh, Well, the Word of God doesn't doesn't do that. It doesn't always unpack everything uh, for us, but it gives us principles that would help us to engage with the world. Uh, that God uh, has put us in, uh, to engage that world um, that um, uh, the word of God speaks to, God wrote to Ephesians, those small churches, um, but he wants us to understand what it meant for them so that we can apply it to our context today. And what is our context when it comes to children and fatherhood? Well, they say that numbers tell a story. Uh, If you were to uh, read the numbers, what do they say? It says, uh, stats essay, basically, summary is, it is rough out there. We live in a broken world. 70% of black children live without their dads at home, the article, the article said. Uh, the report revealed that only 31%, this is another study, of black children stayed with their biological fathers. It's compared to 51% of colored children, um, 86% of Indian and Asian children, 
80% of white children. Uh, that is, the majority of our, our population grows up uh, without fathers. So we live in a broken society. Uh, not only are we faced with brokenness, uh, we are faced with failure. Uh, we see many men, many women try to be the best parents that they could be, uh, but they face with the brokenness of this world. Uh, they face with their own failures. Uh, not only that, they face with the pressure from this world uh, to be a certain type of father, a certain type of mother, a certain, a certain type of uh, child. Uh, you are not like so-and-so, so-and-so child. So-and-so child is a doctor and has dedicated themselves to study, to studying hard. What about you? Those are the pressures that uh, we live in. How do we, um, how do we live as children uh, in in that? Uh, Our brokenness comes from our past. Uh, Those things that I mentioned are part of a history of brokenness in our country. Uh, We need to acknowledge that Paul speaks into uh, that context. One of the articles I read said that the policies of, policies of racial separation restricted black people to Bandustan's homelands, which were remote, rural, and impoverished. This, 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 empowered, this, this empowered led black men to leave their wives and children to work in annual labor contracts in mines, factories, commercial farms, and it made it difficult for black fathers to be available to take care of for and nurture their children. Black men became absent breadwinners and women and women became children's primary caregivers and nurturers. Black men came to be judged as good fathers based on their ability to provide financially. I remember, I, I'm, I'm from a context where I, I didn't grow up with a, with a dad. But I think for the longest of time, what I longed for from a dad was someone to provide. Um, it, that was the totality of what I understood fatherhood to be. Somebody who provides. In fact, we took him to maintenance court when I was in grade 10 and chickened out uh, because we just wanted him to be present uh, in, in our lives. Uh, so in our past, we have those, that history of brokenness, uh, brokenness of fatherhood, um, brokenness of children and their understanding and their reaction against uh, authoritarian uh, kind of leadership. Uh, many of the fathers that I grew up with, my grandfather particularly, was a hard man. The, my grandfather is my paternal grandfather. And I always wondered why such a hard man who was a disciplinarian who took care of the whole community. People feared him, but when he came to controlling his own children, to raise their own children, he could not achieve that. Um, I think that when I look back, I apply grace to my father because I think he needed more than a disciplinarian. So our past is that it has shaped us. And as children, sometimes we reject that notion of uh, hard authority. Some people um, grew up, went to world wars. Um, The guy who stayed behind us in the village was a World War II veteran. And I think something, I don't know what happened, but he he had gone crazy and we feared him. And so that's the reality of uh, fatherhood. The children feared uh, their fathers. Many white men that I speak to have either served in the military, uh, and again, that sort of disciplinarian drill sergeant raised the generation of, of children. So you understand that our past has shaped our understanding of what it means to be a father, uh, and we often reject to what we saw the previous generation doing wrong, uh, and then we say we will do, we will do better. It always feels like that, isn't it? 
especially when you are younger, you're like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to kill this thing. I'm going to do better than the previous uh, generation. So our past hurts us. Our present hurts us. Our present is filled with pressure, broken societies. If you think about it, we are the first generation, especially me, of guys who are raising children on their own. The African family structure has been uh, changed, so we, we're kind of figuring ourselves out. Um, uh, we're figuring ourselves out in this. Um, there's um, brokenness all over. Uh, there's issues in our present of uh, blended families, divorced parents, single mothers. Uh, there's pressure from the world to just make it. If you live in Midrand, to just let your kids be raised by the iPad I'm one of those parents. Sometimes I'm just tired of it. Uh, I just want to outsource my parenting to uh, the iPad. Uh, yet what these children long for is a present, a present father. Um, kids somehow need, they need healthy authority. But I think our present, we live in an age that is called the postmodern era. And one of the things that the postmodern culture does is that it rejects any form of authority. Authority is bad. Authority is oppressive. Um, authority uh, is what led us to the broken society uh, that, we, uh, that we live in. Basically, our present, uh, our present is, is rough. It is rough. And I wish Paul had elaborated more on what it means to live in that world. As one commentator said, it is, it is rough. Um, so our past is rough. Our present is rough. Our presence is also difficult. Our presence also adds to the mix. Very often it's easy to point to my father who's broken, the apartheid system, the society that I live in, haters out there, whatever, whatever you would put in there as the reason for my, my brokenness. We tend to not look, in the person, look at the person in the mirror uh, for some of the issues that are wrong with our society. So it's not only our past, not only our present, but our presence in this world, that we are sinful people who hate authority, uh, not only that, who hate taking up responsibility. Uh, the absence of fathers is not just the result of our past, but it is this longing, this desire to live in the here and now. And that's South Africa, isn't it? We are people who love instant gratification, who love pleasure without responsibility. Amen. That's the world that we, uh, we live in, and that's the world in which Paul speaks into. Um, fathers of fathers who are broken, uh, of fathers who are experiencing pressure, of fathers who often fail in their task to, to be fathers, uh, of uh, children who are also broken, uh, who also experience failure, not living up to being good children, and then the pressure uh, of this world. One pastor said that we parents, we often parent through the filters of our insecurities, through the filter of our fears, through the filter of our hopes and dreams and desires. I fear that my daughter, this is, this is me now, let's be real, I've been to Rez, um, and I've seen the things that happen in Rez. And one of the things I want to do, my fears are my child going into Rez, my female child. 
Um, I want to lock her up up until 35, <laughs> and then launch her, and then launch her uh, into into that. But the reality is, I can't do that. I cannot uh, have my fears shape the way uh, our parents. It's not just our fears; it's our insecurities. That sometimes we draw a hard line, and sometimes I I get angry that they make me look bad, like in public. I'm just like, I want to be seen as a good dad. I, I just want to be seen as a good father. And sometimes when they misbehave, I, I want to just uh, do what those who came before me did uh, to not spare the rod uh, and to help them just behave. But at the heart of it is not um, what's good for the, my child. At the heart of it is my insecurities. Sometimes at the heart of the pressure that we experience is the, the, the hopes and dreams and desires of our parents. Uh, their hopes to see you become a CA, uh, even though maybe, maybe, just maybe you don't have the competency um, to do that. And that's okay. That's okay. It is okay to just finish your degree, go find a, a job that you will excel in. But sometimes the pressure is um, is there. Uh, so what does Paul say into all of that? Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Somebody say sit. sit. Somebody say walk. walk. Somebody say stand. 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 Uh, I was going to say sit. I remember my Australian uh, missionary friend wanting to say hey, and he said Salapanzini. <laughs> um but you ought to sit in what God um, has done for you. So how does that sitting help us to walk uh, in the brokenness of our world? Paul first speaks to children. Have a look at verse 1 that we've read. Uh, verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, what does the word children mean? Well, it simply means somebody who lives under the authority of a father. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, Paul, in fact, speaks to the different sections of the Roman family structure. So he first spoke to wives and husbands. Uh, the father was kind of the, the, the leader of the home. Then he speaks to uh, children and uh, parents. Uh, he speaks about another section of the Roman household. And then later on, next week, he'll address uh, born servants and masters. Um, we tend to think of employment differently to how the ancients thought. Uh, if you had uh, born servants, it means they were part of the household. Uh, so Paul is addressing the Roman household, and now he addresses the subordinate, um, that is children, uh, those who stay under the authority of, um, of a father. And he says to them, Obey your parents um, in the Lord. To obey them literally means to listen, to hear, to hear. Obey your parents in the Lord. Okay, so children, this becomes tricky because if we speak about children, when do you stop being a child to your parents? Paul doesn't say that um, necessarily, uh, but he calls us to uh, continue to honor our parents, obey uh, our parents. We'll unpack a little bit of um, some examples of what that 
uh, may look like. So obey your parents, listen to your parents. And in the Lord, the commentators say, because I thought he, he's saying, well, obey your parents in the Lord, which means obey your parents as long as they are in the Lord. Uh, but uh, that's not what Paul is saying. Um, he's saying obey. Um, the obedience has to be in the Lord. So it's not about that you obey just those who are your parents if they're Christian, but it is obeying in the Lord. So your attitude in obeying has to be prompted by your relationship with God. And you see the, uh, the parallel chapter, verse rather, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 20, he says to, um, to obey parents with respect to all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So uh, you obey your parents uh, uh, by response to what God has done. The commentator says that the phrase does not define the limits of obedience, but rather it shows the spirit in which the obedience is to be accomplished. Uh, so Paul says, if you are a Christian, that's your duty. Obey uh, your parents. And he says, for this is right. Uh, the way there is righteous. This is uh, what is good. And what Paul is doing is that he's actually outlining a create, creation uh, kind of idea that how God created this world in all of his wisdom is by setting parents as an earthly authority over their children. So when te- parents, rather children, obey their parents, uh, they are um, modeling or rather um, displaying obedience to God in this world. So parents-child relationship uh, is a reflection an earthly reflection of our obedience um, to God. And there's a promise in there. There's a promise of good things happening when we obey that commandment. In the way that God has uh, built this world, when we listen to our parents, uh, life seems to to thrive. Uh, It uh, seems to thrive. That is how God wired uh, this world. Have a look at verse 2. He calls one of the Ten Commandments, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment uh, with a promise. And what was the promise for those who transitioned from Egypt into the promised land was that it may go well with you, uh, that you may live long in the land. Um, Amen. There's a lot of Tuana sayings that um, sort of um, outline this, this, um, this, this kind of human flourishing. Uh, one of them says, a child who does not heed the instruction of their parents will heed the instructions of the vouchers. Uh, it means life will not go well with you. Another one that I'm, um, I just came across, it says, uh, This wild animal said, I'm not going to be governed. I'm just going to run wild. Um, so it compares the wild animal with a domestic animal, an animal like uh, a goat. If you slaughter a goat, you'll see that it's fattened because it's well taken care of. And the idea there is that when you live in the protection of your family, there's flourishing. It looks like when you run wild and when you go out of that protection, it looks like things will go well. But just like this wild animal, you are not well taken care of. Um, and statistics, statistics uh, will tell us this. Uh, there's a couple of indicators in our society, those who, um, who study psychology, talk about the, 
the impact or rather the, rather the lack of flourishing of those who maybe don't grow up with their debts, don't grow up in the protection of their debts. Um, it says that there's emotional and psychological issues, uh, diminished self-concept and self-esteem, struggles with emotion and self-loathing. And I've been doing student ministry and I've encountered uh, people who say, my mother does not like me. Uh, my mother for many years uh, has, tormented, has tormented me, the woman who gave birth to me. And they struggle with self-esteem issues because they didn't live under the protection um, that is um, uh, in the household. Uh, many of our girls struggle with daddy issues, uh, and we see the impact of, uh, of that. We see the impact of fathers not being there to take care of their children, which means that all of us need a, a kind of a, a deep sense of security, a deep sense of belonging to a family. And, and, and flourishing in that family. Uh, many children who grow up without their fathers experience behavioral issues, uh, difficulties in social uh, adjustments. The list goes on uh, that there's, they struggle academically. Uh, most people who end up, this were studies done in the States, but I think it's true here, that a lot of guys who end up in jail is because they're not in the protection of uh, their family. On and on the list goes. Um, I'm not going to look into that. But the reality of it uh, is that there is, God has wired the relationship of children and parents for human flourishing. When either party breaks that, uh, our society ends up in chaos. And very often the government uh, gets to bear the brunt of that. Uh, but you and I, God has created us different. God has called us to belong, and he's calling us to be different in the world that he's placed us to be in. Uh, if you are a child, uh, you want to uh, recognize the authority that God has put over your life and to lovingly listen to them. Listen to your parents, and I know what you're saying, right? Have you met my parents? Um, I'm running out of time here, but um, what happens if uh, my parents do not embody the values of Christ? Now I'm going to tell you three stories just to kind of answer that, hopefully help you think about that. Um, The first one, I'll tell you two. The first one is a story of a a guy who wanted to get married. He's closer. Um, Sorry, my filters are are on there. Um, He's closer. He needed to go in to do initiation, to become a man. So when you come and say, I want to get married, they are like, how does a boy want to get married? You need to go into the mountain to become a man. And very often, going to the mountain requires rituals that are not in line with Christ. Not only that, being a man is embracing who Christ calls you to be. You don't necessarily have to go into the mountain. This is why Tuana men don't go to mountains. Um, to be a man, amen. Um, that's just a joke. If you're closer, please don't be offended. It is a good, I think initiation is a great pathway into manhood. I think there's a beauty when men acknowledge that today you become a, a man. Uh, we did that for one of our ministers' 
children. His name was Jared. Um, we did. We had a bar mitzvah for him, and I, I thought it was such a powerful thing to see men laying their hands on this boy and saying, "Today you are a man." Um, that was powerful. So it's a powerful gesture. In fact, one of our ministers in Cape Town did his own Christian initiation uh, school. But that's a topic for another day. The story is, uh, this man could not get married if he hadn't gone through those uh, those things. So how does what would Paul say to him? Uh, how do you continue obeying your parents uh, with that uh, with that uh, sort of pushback? Um, well, he couldn't stay in sin and just go um, do a fat and set with his wife. So he decided to go on without the blessing of his father. But one of the most beautiful things was that people from this church, men from this church, went out to go negotiate Lobola for this guy. It was such a beautiful picture of what we call family. When we say we're family, uh, I saw it uh, in action that day, uh, that this man went against his father. He didn't do it kicking and screaming. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be respectful. But there are times when we can respectfully draw the line and say, this is not in the Lord. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. My story, when I got married many moons ago, um, just 10 years ago, um, she's been with me for 10 years. Can you believe it? (laughs) It takes a special grace of God for that to happen. But that's another topic for another sermon. Um, My getting married, so traditionally, you go, you take the bride from her place. So we all drove to welcome to go take her. So two women, they wear blankets during summer. Um, So we embrace her to just transform her and uh, get her to a next degree of glory, which is being Tuana. Um, So traditionally, you take her on the one day, and then you have to make her arrive. Okay, we welcome her. She arrives into the Tuana family. We dress her up in a special garment called Litoiti. Um, so as we were doing this, I told my mom, I don't have any money. Uh, if you want to do two weddings, it's going to be on you. She was happy to do that. I'm like, I'm happy to come uh, to that. I came. Everything was organized. I'm like, this is, this is a joy. On the night before the wedding day, they said to me, there's someone who's coming. And if you grew up in a Tawana household, you know what that someone means. Um, and I'm like, what, why is that person coming? Um, well, to strengthen the, the marriage, because that's what we do. we Africans. I'm like, but I thought you guys knew where I, where I stand on this matter. Well, you are, can you just sit? You are a child. This is our house. And uh, we, yeah, this is not going to fly. So it was a tug of war between parents and me, the child. What do I do in that instant? Um, I think I wasn't, I wasn't so respectful. And looking back, I think I could have been more respectful in drawing the line. What I'm trying to say is that respectfully draw the line with your parents. Um, I told them, if that's the case, then I'm gone. They will have the wedding. And that's when they caved and said, well... 
I think we will do things your way. Um, I was unwise uh, back then, but nonetheless, there was a drawing of the line that we have to respectfully sometimes draw the line uh, with our parents. I've got about six minutes left to talk about fathers, uh, which is, again, another long, long topic. So that's what Paul says to uh, children. This is what he says uh, to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's quite interesting that Paul, when he talks about obedience to parents, he mentions both the mother and father, but when he talks about um, uh, how parents, he specifically focuses on the father, and again, that's part of the culture. It is patriarchal. He doesn't exclude mothers necessarily. I think this encompasses them, but I think it is so relevant to fathers of all ages. I was listening to a sermon that said, it is, you would never, it's highly unlikely where you see mothers kind of abandoning their children. It does happen, but very often fathers have the inclination to not being involved as they ought to be. And maybe that's why God in his grace addresses our fathers here, because as goes the father, so goes uh, the family. Uh, he urges fathers not to provoke their children what does that mean? Uh, does it mean that you shouldn't make your children angry by telling them what to do? Um, one of the things I had to learn is that uh, they don't like <laughs> being told what to do. It makes them angry. But that's not what Paul is referring to. Uh, I think what Paul is referring to is this deep content uh, that, has built, that has been built over the years um, against you. That you shouldn't, in your relationship with your children, build a contempt kind of relationship. You shouldn't continually use harsh words or put heavy burdens on them. And very often we do that as parents. We impose those fears on them. We impose those insecurities on them. We impose those uh, hopes and dreams and desires. Uh, we want to carve their destiny, and we forget that God has placed them in our lives, not to mold them into our own desires, but to mold them into the image of Christ. That is what Paul is calling us to do here. One of the best writers when it comes to parenting is a guy with a mustache um, called... <laughs> I say that because I made the students watch Paul Tripp's videos and they could not stand the sight of his mustache. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, he has a mustache. His stuff is brilliant. If you don't like seeing him... Just read his books. One of those books is The 14 Principles of Parenting. And one of the things that Paul Tripp does is that he goes to the heart of parenting. And he says that the heart of parenting is grace. Grace for yourself. When you see that you are messed up, you are a failure. Not only that, you are broken. When you see yourself in that way, you will see the mercy of God. You will see that you belong because of what God has done. And that's going to transform those fears that you have. That's going to transform your insecurities that I don't have to prove to people that I'm a good parent because in Jesus, I have identity. Amen. Therefore, that empowers me uh, to do this. It empowers me to bring them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I'm going to fail in that. But I'm going to fail trusting that there's one who holds my hand. 
uh, throughout all of that. Uh, Paul Tripp says, when you think your job is to change your child and you've been given the power to do it, your parenting will tend to be demanding, aggressive, threatening, and focused on rules and punishments. In this kind of parenting, you are working to make your children into something rather than working them, working to help them to see something and seek something. Let me say that again. In this kind of parenting, you are working to make your children into something rather than working them to, to help them to see something and seek something. In this form of parenting, it is all about you and your children rather than you being an agent of what only God can do in your children. The grace of God teaches you that you cannot change people. You yourself need to be transformed, and you must point them to someone who's transformed you. And sometimes that means confessing to your children. Many of us, and I say this without joke, would not be going to therapy if our our parents just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I did. Um, that's the reality. But the grace of God teaches us to humble ourselves and do so. To say that I'm, I'm a sinner. And listen, I blow it sometimes. I, I sometimes get angry. And listen, this is what you are going to do. You, you're not going to want to share. That's just the reality of it. We want to say, start sharing. Sharing is caring. <laughs> listen, you yourself as an adult, don't believe that. Um, so point your child to the grace that transforms you to be a giver and stop trying to force them into uh, becoming givers like that. Paul Tripp goes on to say that your hope is that you will exercise the right power at the right time and in the right way to change your children, to change in your, to, in the right way, so, so change in your children will result. That process is profoundly different than working to be a useful tool in the hands of God, of a God of glorious transforming grace, who alone is your hope and the hope of your children. Um, God can work by his grace to make us and transform us, transform our brokenness, transform our failure, transform the pressures that we face uh, to embrace him uh, who helps us through that. And that's our time together. I'm going to pray for us uh, that God will help us apply this, his word, uh, to our lives. Father, we are so thankful to you for the grace that you give us. Uh, There's many things that we can say about this topic, but you chose uh, for us to hear this, uh, to hear about your grace, your grace that empowers us to live such different human relationships. Uh, This grace applies not only to parents and children, but to all of our relationships. Father, help us to be people of grace. Help us to have the grace to forgive our parents where they've hurt us. Help us to have grace towards our children when they don't match up uh, to our standards. Help us, most of all, uh, to embrace the cross of Jesus the cross that brings us into this family, the cross that changes us to be different people. Help us by the power of the Spirit, and the Spirit who guarantees that we have an eternal place in your family. We will belong forever. May that same Spirit be working in our lives uh, to have us love you more and your commandments more.
Lord, I pray for those who are hurting, that your grace will heal them, uh, that they would have the courage to talk to somebody. I pray for those who are struggling, Lord, uh, in our church family, those who are raising children on their own, uh, those who are, uh, have experienced divorce, um, those who have experienced many other hurtful things. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing, that where the ideal legs, uh, the grace of God may prevail. So thank you for that grace. And please empower us as we go into this week to live out that grace wherever you've placed us. In Jesus' name, amen.